time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN as uh, we take a look at uh, some of the stories going on uh, around our area and especially in the department. And I wanted to start quickly, Dave, with you. Uh, Dave Schroeder in here is yes. uh, we're we're getting we're getting close to clo- maybe closing statements have started in the Boswell trial. Yes, uh, closing arguments have already uh, started, uh, and uh, the case uh, should be handed over to the jury today, if not already. Um, and but the jury has uh, decided that they will not begin deliberations until tomorrow, uh, meaning that they want to take the rest of the afternoon off and go home. And and uh, but once the jury begins meeting they'll be sequestered until until they're rendered a, a verdict okay all right moving along quickly today thank you very much dave we'll talk to you again in a second let's uh, start out with the farm department and see what susan littlefield has for us susan Hey, Scott, here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. Chabella's going to kick everything off at 1219 as we talk more about the sheep conference coming up this Saturday. A great opportunity for sheep and goat producers, that is, to learn more about what's happening in the industry. Then at 1245, I'll be jumping in to talk with Michael Taylor. She is with Kansas State University. As we talk not only about land values and rent, but how the government assistance checks that have been coming, CFAP, CFAP2, how that's all playing into the role as well and then alex will wrap everything up coming up at 117 about the most recent report from the 2020 rural poll results and that's a midday on this tuesday from the farm team all right thank you so much susan let's turn it over to jason jorgensen and it looks like uh, the huskers pick up uh, we've got tight ends they huskers got some tight ends they have three in this class maybe going forward they'll go on balance with some heavy sets there you go but uh <laughs> norris tight end james carney gave his verbal commitment to the huskers yesterday he's the fifth in-state prospect to commit to head coach scott frost he held other offers from the likes of k-state pitt and Iowa. So that's a nice get. Uh, guys really come on. They're south of Lincoln, and as we mentioned, uh, got some tight ends. Uh, the other two had signed. They're kind of higher ranked, but they said that didn't scare Carney away. Hmm. I'll be darned. Yeah, run the old counter trip. Get, uh, get that going. So. Also, what a day for girls golf to wrap up across the state. Boy, it was pretty decent yesterday, even better today. My guess is some of those scores will be on the low side. And we have some teams from a region in the mix. North Platte's got a chance to win Class A. Hmm. Uh, Scott's Bluff was expected to win B, and then Broken Bow had a nice lead going to the second day. 17 strokes over Lincoln Christian. And Coz adds that Lindsey Becker was tied for the lead after carding a 77 yesterday. Also, we'll talk some FKC volleyball. We'll have both of the semis tonight on 880K RVN from over there at Carney Catholic. 6 o'clock matchup, Overton against Amherst. Then at 7.30, Pleasanton against Elm Creek. Pleasanton has dropped one set all year long, and that was to powerhouse Grand Island Central Catholic. I remember doing one of their games last year and thought they were incredible. Wow. Uh, basketball, track, volleyball, that's mm. been a good bunch. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Jason. Let's turn it quickly over to uh, Dave Schroeder again. Looks like stock's kind of mixed today, Dave. Yes. Uh, the Dow down slightly. NASDAQ up slightly. S&P down slightly. Uh, Social Security recipients will get a modest 1.3% cost of living increase in 2021. Uh, that might be a small comfort amid the pandemic and so forth, but uh but 1.3% cost of living increase for Social Security recipients next year. All right. Thank you so much, Dave. Let's uh, continue our 
round tables. We midday, we go to Clay. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, for a midday check of the trade. And Mike, a little bit of a turnaround Tuesday. Soybeans leading our way higher today. They had really strong export inspections, though, at well over 2 million metric tons. Yeah, that's 79 million bushels to you and I, Clay, and those are very strong exports indeed, up towards the top end of the trading expectations. We also saw China come out with September import-export data very strong in both uh, exports and especially in imports, and soybeans were at the top of the list. They bought 9.8 million tons of beans from whoever, and that ends up being you know pretty suggestive that USDA's 100 million ton total import figure for this current marketing year Maybe, um, maybe attainable if they keep this pace up, and it's a big if. But still, very nice uh, number crunching day for the analytical world when it comes to the soybeans. So we do have a turnaround, but it's mitigated by a, a real surge in the U.S. dollar as we have a lot of data coupled with headline news coming out and driving trade data uh, today as well. And that leads me right into the next one. The most currency-sensitive market always appears to be wheat, and wheat has struggled really to maintain any sort of gains here today. Is that directly tied back to the dollar? I think so. I think I would say that going into the close, we may see a little bit of a shift. I was surprised to see that the European wheat is hitting new contract highs in Paris right now. Thanks to the weather here in both the United States and the Baltic states, especially Russia, we're we're seeing the export price for wheat in Russia go up pretty sharply here the last week or so. We're wondering whether we have actual exportable supplies by producers because of these price rallies uh, that we're seeing in the cash market. So we do have that dollar to look at. The IMF is coming out with a new updated global economic outlook. I think that stimulated this U.S. dollar short covering because it's not a pretty picture when it comes right down to it from what they've released so far. In the livestock trade, where we do have soybeans higher today, though, pork is not, or lean hogs are not participating in that soybean, lean hog, or pork and bean trade that we've talked about before. Does this come from the fact of those import numbers you were talking about from China, pork not making it as high on the list? That, and I think the macro factors are having a bigger play, both in the stock market and in the livestock market, Clay. I think this follow-through selling pressure in the hogs is, is mitigated um, by, or should, I should say, probably uh, added to because of the fact that we also failed technically in the fat cattle uh, technicals, in my opinion, and that's helping to push each other lower. And so it's kind of a momentum-driven trade here, but I think the macro factors separate the hogs versus the soybeans. Looking back at the more of the fundamental level, we've got a pork carcass at noon here with a noon print of over $100. And then we've got a, fi- a feeder cattle index that's still about 4 or $5 premium to where the contract that's going off here quickly. So can that give us some underlying support to try and boost this market here later in the week? Yeah, I think that's a really good, valid thing to be watching because I've talked to clients and subscribers about pulling feeder hedges here, and I think I probably will recommend that because of exactly that feeder cattle price in the cash market and that October getting ready to go off and having that financially and indexed uh, uh, cleared or finished out. And I think that really does tend to help uh, balance those two futures versus cash index out nicely. Again, we're talking with Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. You can learn more at GlobalComResearch.com. That's GlobalCom with two M's, Research.com. Oh, do remember, trading futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. When you go to GlobalComResearch.com and you mention, hey, I heard about Mike Zuzlo on the Rural Radio Network talking with Clay, Mike's going to get you two weeks free trial of his newsletter and in-depth analysis, maybe even a special report if it's in that given time frame. So GlobalComResearch.com. 
Mike Zuzlo on the Rural Radio Network. Uh. 11.44 here in the Central Time Zone as we uh, take a look at Tuesday and weather and see what's going on and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And, uh, Paul, this is a, after a couple weeks of pretty much the same weather all along, this a little bit more action-packed week, a lot more things going on. Exactly. Some kind of some up and downs here. Uh, today going to be a nice day. Part of tomorrow going to be nice. Uh, I wouldn't doubt if we see some falling temperatures tomorrow afternoon with this okay. cold front moving through. But, yeah, big blast to some cold air for later in the week. But there is one more day over the weekend. We'll probably see a day like today. So kind of some... Fewer options of nice weather than a few, a lot fewer than we have been experiencing. Well, and I I couldn't help but notice as we <laughs> extended that there was a there was an S word in there coming that up. Certain uh, S word uh, that we don't like to hear start to hear this time of year. Yes. Yikes! But and it sounds like. Uh, <laughs> If you're waiting for a good freeze, you're going to get it. So. Exactly, yeah. The hard freeze, uh, maybe get rid of the bugs. I, I don't think it'll get rid of the dust, unfortunately, no, but <laughs> true. Uh, there's that chance of getting rid of some of the bugs, which they've been a plenty this year for sure. But right now we do have temperatures in the upper 50s to low 60s for the most part in Nebraska. A little bit cooler in the Nebraska Panhandle, still in the low to mid 50s. But much of northern Kansas, with temperatures currently in the mid to upper 60s, also some low 60s as you head into northeast Colorado. Looking at today to be sunny and seized, almost those lighter winds, some high pressure builds in behind a weak cold front as the afternoon goes on. So it should be just a perfect fall afternoon. Tomorrow will be warmer before a strong cold front drops south during the afternoon. It will be nice be just ahead of that front. Ahead of the front, temperatures warming into the 70s and much of Nebraska. Even some 80s over southwest Nebraska to northern Kansas. Winds will increase and gust up to around 40 through tomorrow evening. With the expected winds tomorrow, fire danger will be high. Any light rain chances look to be limited to the panhandle with that front. In behind the front, high temperatures dropping into the 50s. And once again, that's daytime highs in the 50s for Thursday and Friday. or about 15 degrees below normal for this time of year. A nice day expected on Saturday with highs in the 70s, but then a cold front for Saturday night with another significant cool down for Sunday into early next week and it's going to be a sustained cool down. Forecast models are starting to show also some consistency in one or more uh, bands of some precipitation moving through our area for Saturday night through Monday. And lots of uncertainty still but given the cold air in place this could be the first chance for some snowfall this season for parts of the area Sunday night. So uh, take note of that. Mm, note it has been duly noted. <laughs> I don't think you'll have to get out the scooper snow floor, no. but but you may be seeing some flakes of snow uh, floating around and landing on those grassy areas. Sub-freezing temperatures also possible at night, especially the potential of a hard killing freeze by Sunday night. In our long-term forecast, chances are good for below normal temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. Monday through October 26th, especially for early next week. For early next week, Slightly above normal precipitation is expected for Nebraska, while Kansas expects near-normal precipitation. The outlook quickly turns drier with below-normal precipitation late next week through the 26th for Nebraska, Kansas, on into the rest of the central and western U.S. Key weather factors driving the markets include the continuation of rain chances in Brazil's soybean areas and late-arriving rain for wheat in southern Russia. As the week progresses, surges of colder air will engulf the northwest U.S. and most areas from the Rockies eastward late in the week and during the weekend temperatures should plunge below 20 across the northern high plains while freezes expected throughout the northern and central plains through the upper Midwest 
For the Midwest to Northern Plains, harvest conditions remain generally favorable. The Southern Plains will be very dry through the next week where winter wheat is under stress in its early growth stage. Delta crop areas will be drier for cleanup and recovery after Hurricane Delta, but soybeans there sustain damage due to heavy rain and wind. Central Brazil crop areas will have more rain chances with uh, moderate amounts the rest of the week for most primary soybean crop areas. The higher rain chance likely to encourage soybean planting. Planting progress in central Brazil at 3.5% complete for soybeans, which is well beyond uh, behind the uh, average of 11% complete. Russian wheat areas expect light to moderate rain over the next week, offering some crop moisture benefit. Very dry conditions in the last eight weeks for Russia, though, are likely to have reduced the winter wheat acreage. Okay, very good. Well, Saturday's the day. Uh, for good weather, and then things fall apart again. So yeah, much cooler. Yeah, exactly. Much cooler as we head towards Sunday and early next week, and a couple cool days right before Saturday. So enjoy today, the early part of today and Saturday. All right. <laughs> I've, that sounds like a plan to me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Paul. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather page, krvn.com. The Nebraska Sheep and Goat Producers Association will host its annual conference on Saturday at the Westside Event Center in Alliance. Aaron Fintel, president of the association, says the event will include a variety of educational aspects for sheep and goat producers. We're going to do, we're going to start at 9 o'clock. We're going to do the farm tour about 9.30. I have a couple speakers lined up. They actually work for a large farm, but they themselves are from South Africa one had comes off of a regular commercial sheep farm in South Africa. The other one is a white dorper purebred sheep farm. And in fact, I believe they had the African champion just this year, white dorper ram. The conference will also include Gwendolyn Kitsan, president of the American Lamb Board, Jaylin Whaley, South Dakota State University Extension Sheep Field Specialist, and Randy Sainer, UNL Extension Educator. Fintel says the educational elements in the conference are important to the producers. I think the biggest factor to that is I feel like the sheep industry changes more, say, in a five-year cycle than the beef, pork, poultry industry ever does. So I think education is probably the biggest part of it. Offshoot of that is the social aspect, you know, getting to interact with other producers around the state, hearing, you know, as as you sit down and talk with them, what works for them, what doesn't, sharing what works for you, what doesn't. You know, it's 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 a really great time to come and and just really re up your education, get to know other producers and network. Fintel will also be hosting the farm tour at his place, Open Skies Farm. While he is the new president of the association, he's not new to the sheep industry. I myself am a uh, fourth-generation sheep producer. Grew up in southeast Nebraska, and we had a decent-sized farm flock as a kid. And being a child, that was my main livestock that I got to interact with, you know, because it's a lot smaller animals and safer for a kid than cattle. Um, so I did a lot of the sheep stuff with my dad as a kid. Fintel's family left the sheep business for a while, but he found it was a passion which kept calling him back. Didn't realize at the time, you know, as, as most people do when they're kids, how much I really enjoyed the sheep stuff. Um, 
in my early 20s, I bought a handful um, just, you know, to kind of mess around. At that point, the family, we had been out of sheep for probably 15 years or so. Shortly after that, my dad decided, I'd like to have some sheep again. Got into researching. Um, my mom did on the Internet. My dad doesn't know the Internet exists. Uh, my mom did some researching and found hair sheep, don't have to shear them, multiple births. They got into them. My boys, as they got older, I thought, boy, they could use some chores around. Bought dad's lamb crop, and the females never left. <laughs> so that's kind of how I myself got into it. Again, the Nebraska Sheep and Goat Producers Association will meet Saturday in Alliance beginning at 9 Mountain Time. Cost is $45 for non-members, $35 for members, plus $10 for each additional family member, and $15 for youth. Registration fees include handouts, lunch, and the annual meeting banquet. To register or for more information, contact the Nebraska Sheep and Goat Producers Association at 308-386-8378. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. And it is time for Midday Sports. Jason has now stepped in. And let's talk Husker football. Sounds like an in-state, uh, in-state high school kid's going to stay here with the Huskers. Uh, another tight end, Norris tight end, James Carney, gave his verbal commitment to the Huskers yesterday. He's the fifth in-state prospect to commit to head coach Scott Frost. He held other offers from the likes of Kansas State, Pitt, and Iowa. Now, when the Huskers actually hit the field this fall, of course, there won't be any fans of the game. And quarterback Adrian Martinez says that will be different. But as far as playing in empty stadiums, I know we've practiced in Memorial. Um, we've done things like that to prepare for those situations. Um, and I think as long as we keep moving fast, um, we mix up some of our calls, I think we'll be fine moving forward with that. Doesn't it seem like it's taken forever for the 24th to get here? I thought it was this weekend, to yeah. be honest with you. This past weekend, I'm like, oh, yeah, the Huskers start this weekend. Uh, no. Oh, uh, yeah, next, next week. Yeah. Uh, they are into the final day of the NSAA State Golf Tournament. In Class A, North Platte had the lead. Bailey Steele of North Platte was sitting third in Class B. Scott's Bluff, as expected, had a big lead. In Class C, Broken Bow is trying to win its first state title. Uh, they led Lincoln Christian by 17. And Cozad's Lindsey Becker was tied for the lead after shooting a 77. Uh, for the very latest results, you can check that out at krvn.com. Semifinals of the FKC Volleyball Tournament are set for tonight at Carnegie Catholic in the first semifinal, 21-1. Second-ranked Overton placed 16-8. Amherst has won seven out of its last eight. That match begins at 6. At 7.30, 23-0. Top-ranked Pleasanton placed 16-6. Elm Creek. Bulldogs coach Shane Nordby says to this point in the year, it's been a year to remember. Yeah, we had some high expectations coming in, both from people outside of, of our team, and, and the girls hold themselves to... A high standard also and so you know the the results that we've had um are somewhat expected but you know we've had even more success than than maybe what we had anticipated what a bunch of kids they've dropped just one set this year that was the powerhouse grand island central catholic and i went look this up pleasanton has won 45 matches in a row against fkc competition wow wow yeah. i feel like pleasanton <laughs> and overton have been just kicking butt the last several years. I mean, they have. It's been a while. They, and then they always meet up. And then, in fact, Overton is the last FKC team to beat Pleasanton, and that was in districts in 2017. So it's been three years. It has, since they've <laughs> lost 
to someone in the league. Talk about dominance. Yeah. Good. Uh, we'll have the matches tonight here on 880 KRVN, 106.9 at Carney and at KRVN.com. Baseball continues today. Atlanta looks to go up 2 nothing on the Dodgers, and uh, well, the Astros need to try to break out of this hole as Tampa Bay is taking mm-hmm. it to them so far with their pitching staff. Raise up to none. I'm not sure anybody thought Tampa would be this good or get this deep in the playoffs, but they have a solid pitching staff. Nobody spends their money more wisely than yeah. Tampa Bay. They they really have some. They, not only do they draft well, but they raise them well, and the, the minors and they come up and a lot of names that you don't know. They're not household names, but the, this is a solid team. And of course, this year no fans can show up to the games, but it's just it's also amazing they do what they do in that mm-hmm. ballpark mm-hmm. that they can't draw more than about nine thousand fans per game. Well, and from what I understand, because they're not necessarily in Tampa, they're like off in the beach somewhere. That it's hard for the people to get to, and they're like, uh, "We don't want to go." And they have, they have kind of sucked, in, yeah. in, you know, in recent memory. So understandable. But uh, they got a team, so we'll see if they can finish off the Astros. Uh, that's sports. For more, you can find that anytime at krvn.com. Thank you very much. It is time for midday news. It means Ellen Simmons has now stepped in, and uh, speaking of. Uh, Local news. Ellen is uh, not a spider fan. No. You uh, any 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 arachnid that is within the area code fear for his life. Yeah. Well, and I don't freak out to the point where I can't even see them. You know, <laughs> like I can kill them. I'll do out? that. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> right. But now I when I see a spider, I'm gonna kill it. <laughs> Just saying, we had some uh, harmless spiders hanging out. They're not doing anything and. Ellen, what well, were you there for the for the millipede? Uh yeah, the that one that was, was like scurrying across the floor earlier. <laughs> Bob's yeah. like, you want to put a leash on uh-huh. that? <laughs> <laughs> it it, uh, it is interesting around here. You know, we have a lot of uh, spider lot of fanatics. Yeah, That's weird. So, all right, very good. I just I just had to get that out there. So. <laughs> Thank what you. do you have for us today? All right, well, the Senate Judiciary Committee has wrapped up the first of four days of planned Supreme Court confirmation hearings. For Amy Coney Barrett, she declared Americans deserve an independent Supreme Court that interprets the Constitution and laws as they were written. The policy decisions and value judgments of government must be made by the political branches, elected by and accountable to the people. The public should not expect courts to do so, and courts should not try. She will begin answering questions from lawmakers today and Republicans appear to have the votes to confirm her. The number of people hospitalized with coronavirus and the rate of new cases remains high in Nebraska. The state said Tuesday that 299 people were hospitalized with COVID-19. That's just under the record of 305 people set last weekend, but well above the spring peak of 232 set on May 27th. An Associated Press analysis of data from John Hopkins University shows that the state continues to have the seventh highest rate of new cases. The seven-day rolling average of the positivity rate in Nebraska declined slightly over the past two weeks, going from 13.22% on September 28th to 13.08% on Monday. 
A Lincoln police officer has been put on unpaid suspension after he was cited on suspicion of drunken driving and assault. The Lincoln Journal Star reports that police believe Officer Austin Espinoza was seated in his vehicle in the parking lot of a Lincoln bar around 2.30 a.m. Sunday when he argued with two acquaintances, a man and a woman. Espinoza reported being assaulted by the man and the woman reported being assaulted by Espinoza. Officers who questioned Espinoza suspected he had been drinking, and police say a breath test showed he had a blood alcohol content of 0.112%. The legal limit to drive is 0.08%. Two Rivers Public Health approved the event planned for Kearney Cruise Night Week, slated for October 13th through the 18th. While the activities do take place outside, there are still some safety recommendations from the health department. Vigilant mask usage and proper hand hygiene are also very important practices to continue following. Two Rivers is recommending that participants in the shows stay in their cars or only with their own immediately immediate family groups instead of intermingling with others in attendance. Two Rivers also recommends wearing masks at all events, including outdoor events. Kearney has been identified as a local hotspot as of last week, but Two Rivers Health Director Jeremy Eshelman says with the activities taking place in open areas, this affords a much better opportunity for social distancing. Well, you can find more news at krvn.com. Thank you very much, Ellen. During a recent conference for ag lenders in Kansas, the talk from each one of the speakers always brought up the payments that they've been receiving recently from the government. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. As I talked with Michael Taylor, who is an assistant professor of agricultural economics at Kansas State University, we talked specifically about those payments and are we relying on them too much? Well, that's a that's a good question. Um, we've we've needed it to shore up finances uh, for the last couple of years, so I wouldn't say that it's it's unwarranted uh, in having those government payments. Um, the trick is is that when you get them. Um, you have to figure out, you know, as a as a producer, where that money needs to go. And you know, for some folks, it's real obvious it's going to go to, um, you know, paying bills. Uh, for other folks, it's going to go into reinvesting in the farm. And that's where you know that bigger picture of, you know, okay, I've got this government payment. How can I best use it to grow my farm and to be um, smart from a financial standpoint? So I think as long as farmers um, are are working with that money and working with their lenders to try to to be as as responsible and strategic as they can with that money, I think it, it, it can benefit them. Did it surprise you to see an increase in bankruptcy filings in the state of Kansas? Not really. Um, it's been tough uh, for the last several years, and I know that we've had a lot of restructuring of notes um, over the last couple of years, and there's so, sort of a progression when cash flow starts to be a problem that restructuring follows, and then for some uh, you know, farms, you know, having bankruptcy is is the is a way out um, the numbers are not sky high so we don't need to be that worried about it but we track it just because um, it's it's an important measure of what's going on in the sector and so um, I think it's still at a modest level and we don't need to be too worried about it how does that compare then to other states neighboring states when it comes to bankruptcy so um, if you're in a state with a lot of dairy <laughs> that's been a problem. Um, there, there's been a, a, a tough time for dairy and a lot of bankruptcies on that. Um, so how do we compare? We, we are, um, we're pretty 
middle of the road. Um, you know, we're in a, but Kansas has had, you know, we haven't had a great run over the last four or five years. And so we've really had to tighten our belts, you know, with regard to, to being financially sound and, and not letting those things happen. One of those areas is renting of ground. How are rental rates right now in Kansas? Rental rates are backed off a little bit from their peak uh, of a few years ago, uh, and that makes sense because um, if we're not as profitable, then that bottom line that we're sharing with the landowner um, is going to reflect um, that we're not able to pay as high rents as we were when things were good. Um, the landowner-tenant relationship and how we negotiate that uh, is really important to keep those relationships strong. You don't want to have to threaten to walk away from a piece of ground. You want to be able to talk to your landlord and say, look, maybe we back it off this year, but we keep it open so that next year, if things get better, you know, we can change it. Um, you know, maybe not locking in to four and five year rental rates. Um, that's always a little tricky with the, with the volatility and the uncertainty in the market. Um, locking in a rate right now for, um, for four or five years um, on the rental side uh, could get you into a little bit of trouble. There has been a struggle, and even as I talk to producers, um, they worry, I mean, having spouses are having to go off the farm mm -hmm. to work. Um, some are worrying, how do we pay ourselves when we still have to pay our rental rate? So we still have to pay for that land we use to bring the crop in. Right, um, and, and that's a consideration, is that um, we've been, in some cases, losing money on rented ground and trying to pay for it with owned land, trying to pay for it out of, um, out of our own pockets. Um, and all I can say to that is you really have to be aware of where your cost centers are and manage your finances. And we can't do that with a shoebox full of receipts. We really have to do it with good data and good measurements of what those costs are. Because at some point in time, there may be a piece of land that we need to let go of. Um, and we want to do that and we want to make a business decision there, not a gut sort of emotional decision about whether or not we keep a piece of land because we're convinced we'll never get it back. Um, so we really have to make um, strong uh, business decisions that are based on, on good information that we've collected from our farm over the years. Have you seen any current trends in the land rents as to where it's going as we head towards 2021 and beyond? Uh, folks that can negotiate lower are trying to. Um, the government payments are going to support rental rates a little bit though because for for guys that aren't using that to pay bills directly they will use it to bid on ground so in some in some places where rents are really competitive um, you won't see a backing off of, of rental rates it'll stay stable uh, but it is softening in some parts of the state are you worried about 2021 when we don't have these payments CFAP 1 and 2 and the CARES Act and everything else that's been factored in this year Yes, I think it will be a it'll be a bit of a shock, um, and we'll have to make some pretty big adjustments. Um, and and that's the thing about government payments is they sort of delay um, the the hard decisions. Um, and but with them being ad hoc, um, I just I hope that people don't depend on them and, and just assume that we're going to get them you know year in and year out. My conversation with Michael Taylor, who is an assistant professor of ag economics at Kansas State University. I'm Susan Littlefield from the Rural Radio Network. Stocks are drifting lower on Wall Street, taking a pause after a four-day winning streak. The S&P 500 was down 0.3% in midday trading. Coronavirus counts are rising at a worrying degree in many countries around the world. 
And Johnson & Johnson said that it had to temporarily pause a late-stage study of a potential COVID-19 vaccine. Social Security recipients will get a modest 1.3% cost-of-living increase in 2021, but that might be small comfort amid worries about the coronavirus pandemic and its consequences for older people. Government estimates released today show the increase amounts to $20 a month for the average retired worker. The estimated average Social Security payment for a retired worker would be about $1,543 a month. The cost of living adjustment, or COLA, affects the personal finances of about one in five Americans. China's trade growth accelerated in September as the world's second largest economy recovered from the coronavirus pandemic. Customs data show that exports rose 9.9% from August 9.5% growth. Exports to the United States rose 20.5% despite higher U.S. tariffs in a fight over Beijing's technology ambitions and trade surplus. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says that he's scheduling a vote regarding a GOP COVID relief bill for later this month. He says aid to hard-hit businesses shouldn't be held up by gridlock involving other aid proposals. The Kentucky Republican says that the Senate will take a procedural vote October 19th when the chamber returns. Democrats filibustered a GOP-drafted aid bill last month, and recent talks on a larger deal with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi fell apart this past weekend, probably for good. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. A new report was just released regarding survey results from the 2020 Rural Poll. And today we're joined by Becky Vogt. She is a survey research manager in the Department of Ag Economics to share a little bit more about these results. So, Becky, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. So, first of all, broadly speaking, because this will help us set the stage, tell us about the Rural Poll. Sure. The Nebraska Rural Poll was started 25 years ago now to really gauge the perceptions and opinions and the well-being of rural Nebraskans. So we ask some questions every year, questions about rural Nebraskans' well-being as well as their perceptions and opinions about their community. And those, with those questions, we're able to track trends and changes over time. And then in addition to those questions, each year we ask new questions on topics that have been brought to us by state and local leaders across the state, and those are usually a little bit more timely and issue-oriented, and so that's kind of where the this particular part was one of those sections that is new this year. Absolutely. Let's dive into that a little bit, because once you guys get the results, then you break them up into these reports that really help us understand the meaning of all of these results. So what was this most recent report? What did it reveal? It revealed that, as expected, rural Nebraskans really do have a strong tie to agriculture and that they do see agriculture as being a driver of the economic well-being for their households as well as their communities. And what would you say were some of the key takeaways from finding that? Well, I believe that rural Nebraskans do have some deep roots in agriculture we found that half of those surveyed are were one generation or less removed from the farmer ranch. So they really do have that understanding of 
agriculture. We also found that most rural Nebraskans do see their economic well-being as being dependent on both production agriculture in general as well as animal agriculture in particular. So even if they are not um, currently farming and ranching, they do, do still see that their at least their community or, or county have a tie to that as well as that their household can be impacted by that as well. And Becky, as I was reading this report, part of it was talking about the livestock-friendly county designations. Can you expand on that a little bit? One um, topic that we did cover in this report as well was the livestock-friendly county designations that go that uh, is administered by the Nebraska Department of Agriculture. And it was just interesting that even though Nebraskans do have that strong tie to agriculture that many respondents were not as familiar with with some of those with like that designation in particular but overall they also were supportive of livestock development so it's just that that maybe more information is needed to get the word out about what that designation is and what its um, perceived impacts are. All right, Becky, thanks so much. And for more information on the most recent results, you can find those at ruralpoll.unl.edu. Again, we've been visiting with Becky Vogt. She is a survey research manager in the Department of Ag Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Play patent on the World Radio Network as we look at the closing uh, grain settlements with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, as we come to the close, soybeans rally almost to settle on their high of the day, but the loser on the day, Chicago wheat. Intercommodity spreading, or are we actually seeing some reversal from yesterday's action? Well, we, we, we're we trading a five-year high as far as hard red wheat goes. Chicago's more expensive than that. So sitting above six dollars that's an expensive value uh, for wheat right now, but the market isn't going to go anywhere until it rains. And, you know, you look at the 10 day forecast, nothing's changing. Um, you know, I know there's like above average or more normal average chances of rain out West, but you know, normal average for them isn't very high at all. So in the short run, that's kind of what the wheat belt's going to sit on. And that's very beneficial for corn because corn can trade, you know, a dollar 50 under wheat here and be still somewhat close to four dollars. Um, obviously, you know, we talked about the ethanol play not being a big value, but when you factor in uh, a global wheat price that's, that's very stout and a wheat crop that's going in the ground in very dry ground, uh, the recipe for a rally in wheat is always going to be there. And I think, you know, wheat can go to eight bucks if, if, if you know, but there's a threat somewhere and we have global demand take off. So um, the story is there, but again, we're trading six dollars. So sometimes it's factored in, right? Speaking of that weather, what are your models showing for South America? Are they going to get some beneficial moisture to help get these soybeans in? They, the, the noon model run was drier. So the, nor, the northern area of Mato Grosso is drier. Um, you know, I, to be honest, the market's going to take, take what it will. But the people that I've met just from doing what I do, I've, I've come across farmers down there, and they're just not concerned at this point. They said the real the real uh, value might be the corn because they, if this soybean crop goes longer than they think, might not get the corn in. But these guys are going to plant this early beans regardless. So the rains are going to be there most part. Argentina's getting rain. Uh, now it's just about, you know, 
growing it and who's going to buy it. And today China bought again, so uh, demand is, is in vogue as well. 15 seconds, U.S. dollar continues higher. Is this a currency in motion? No, I don't think so, and not until the election. I think we're pretty much stuck here. If we get in, if the, elect, the election will decide the stimulus. So that'll, that'll be what the driver's factor in a month will be. And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing and Chicago Publisher of the newsletter this week. And Grain, do remember when you trade futures and options, there's always that risk of loss, and it may not be suitable for all investors, so do consider these risks before investing. Again, if you'd like to learn more or sign up for John's free newsletter, uh, he has the free sign-up right there at danielsagmarketing.com, danielsagmarketing.com, again, the website. Grain for most of the screen outside of that Chicago wheat market, which ends just slightly lower on the day. Thank you very much, Clay. That will take care of midday here on this October 13th. If you miss anything, you can go back and listen to our midday podcast sponsored by Deveni Motors at krvn.com or on iTunes.